I'm John Edwards, the lute player and artistic director of the Musicians in Ordinary. You're hearing an excerpt from The Lady Eliza, Her Mask. This piece and the others you can listen to at the end of this podcast are in Margaret Board's Lute Book, a collection of lute music begun in the second decade of the 17th century. And this is part of a series of podcasts supported by the Social Sciences and Humanities Research Council of Canada, the Spem in Allium Fund of the Toronto Foundation, and York University on that collection of music. Deanne Williams, professor in English at York and Killam Research Fellow, has been looking at girls as book owners and performers in the Middle Ages and Renaissance. Margaret Board's lute book has lute solo versions of many pieces composed for a genre of courtly entertainment called masks. I talked to Deanne about the mask, its meaning, and its participants, which she discusses in her book Shakespeare and the Performance of Girlhood, published by Palgrave Macmillan. So Deanne, tell us, what is a mask and how does it differ from just a regular old play that might be done at court? Well, a mask is a very distinctive kind of entertainment in the Renaissance. Its name comes from the mask that is used to disguise the identity of the participant. And it starts with, and it kind of actually, it starts in a medieval tradition of mumming where people would be interrupted, uh, unannounced by masked visitors who would then entertain them in various ways and either their identities would be revealed at the end of the entertainment or, or they would just go on. And this developed into, in the Tudor period, disguisings that were very popular at court. Again, an opportunity for participants to dance and sing and amuse each other uh, under a certain guise of uh, anonymity. Uh, Henry VIII uh, famously participated in one of these uh, with Anne Boleyn, and that was apparently the beginning of their courtship. So it's the actual aristocrats. This is not people coming and performing uh, for the king or queen. As we, you know, there are royal command performances of uh, Shakespeare's company, but this is not that. This is aristocrats taking part in the event. Yes, this is aristocrats taking part uh, in a in a quasi-dramatic event that involved uh, people playing roles um, and taking on different identities. So what's the shape of a mask? It's, uh, there's a um, uh, shape to plays. What's the shape to a mask? In the 17th century, in the mm-hmm. Stuart period, the tradition of Tudor disguisings developed into a much more elaborate uh, and sort of codified art form, particularly by Ben Jonson, but also mm-hmm. by other of his colleagues, where the mask was an articulation of royal power. Stephen Orgel has written about this in his book, The Illusion of Power. So the idea is not so much a kind of a surprise visit by a bunch of masked uh, aristocrats, but instead a uh, rehearsed and defined performance that included paid performers as well as aristocrats. There were elaborate costumes that were designed, stage sets that were designed, music that was 
composed particularly for the occasion of the mask. And there was usually, there was always a certain kind of mythological theme, mm -hmm. but uh, they all were channeled in the direction of the expression of royal power. So the structure invariably would be by this time a kind of an anti-mask, mm -hmm. which had witches or satyrs uh, expressing a kind of disorderly form of desire. And that disorderliness would then be replaced and corrected by a aristocratic expression of order and power um, that ultimately was channeled in the direction of a compliment to the king or queen. I was uh, reading uh, a, a, the, a description from the Mask of Queens, one of Johnson's masks, uh, uh, a description of one of the pieces I'm going to play. Um, uh, of the, the witches dance uh, uh, and it says uh, with a strange and sudden music they fell into a magical dance full of preposterous change and gesticulation but most applying to their property who at their meetings do all things contrary to the custom of men dancing back to back and hip to hip their hands joined and making their circles backward uh, to the left hand with strange, fantastic motions of their heads and bodies. So that that's the anti-mask dance has these, well, fantastical, uh, uh, preposterous actions. And then uh, uh, the aristocrats come in and dance orderly. Is that what you're saying? Then? Yes, the, the paid performers would be the uh, preposterous gesticulators. <laughs> and the aristocratic participants who were sort of at the same time uh, actors and audience uh, mm. in in the in the mask would be silent uh, dancers and performing in a very orderly way their um, their own rightness and and correctness as a kind of a universal principle of order uh, ordained by God. Mm -hmm. And I know uh, Queen Anne and uh, uh, James's Queen and others were participating it. Lucy Countess of Bedford and others. Now you're working on girl performers, so of course you're going to tell us about girls performing in these masks. Right. It's often uh, overlooked in the scholarship, but girls, in fact, participated in many court masks in, um, in Stuart, England. And they, I think, were perhaps not... They're, they're, they're not mentioned much in the scholarship because they often performed anonymously. Mm -hmm. So adult women and adult male participants would be named by their title and, and their names, but, but the girl performers would often just be referred to as little ladies. So for example, in Tethys Festival in 1610, a mask that was performed to celebrate the investiture of Prince Henry, as the Prince of Wales, there were eight little girls, uh, little ladies who performed alongside Prince Charles, his little brother. And um, they were uh, performing uh, extremely complicated dances and it sounds like they sort of stole the show. There are many references to, to them and to people's amazement at their abilities and accomplishments in, uh, in the historical record. And so they were, they were there, they were present uh, and they were participating. Like other adult aristocratic performers, mm -hmm. silently their participation was 
through movement and dance. And it's my understanding that uh, they prepare for these over weeks and months. Uh, yes. They're, they're not like amateur shows. They're big professional shows with the latest um, stage machinery, the latest uh, stage design. Yes, absolutely. So Princess Elizabeth Stewart, at the age of 13, mm. uh, was participating in Tethys Festival. Um, she's named, of course, because she's the princess, uh, along with these other little ladies. And she writes to her brother, uh, Henry, about how hard they are working on their rehearsals for this performance, for this mask. Prince Henry, uh, I think he dies, is it 19 when he dies? Uh, he uh, has all the best, and especially the sort of the latest musicians who are adopting this new Italian style of songwriting that's come in from, that's the beginnings of opera. So he has those. Right. These children, Mm -hmm. Henry, Elizabeth, and Charles, had at their disposal really the kind of the the, the greatest artistic geniuses of the age or or, or a Mm -hmm. collection of them. They had Ben Johnson, they had uh, Alfonso Ferrabosco, they had mm-hmm. Inigo Jones, the great designer, uh, all working for them to present these uh, court spe- spectacles. And they're put together, the, this Inigo Jones, as you say, the, the design is so that there's one spot, the king will sit in his spot and all the perspective will work from his view. It's really, as you say, about arist- aristocratic and royal Power. Royal power, yes. So he's, uh, I control everything, including, uh, and I get the best seat in the house. That's the story of all the masks. (laughs) There are disorderly figures represented by mythological figures, um, and uh, witches, uh, for example. And then there is the expression of royal power. They're all saying, oh, king. You are so good. You are <laughs> so, so it's the right. Beginnings, the beginning of, beginnings of absolutism, which doesn't quite work out in England and Britain. But it, <laughs> uh, Lully and um, uh, Louis XIV, he, he participates in all those uh, court ballets as Apollo, unsurprisingly, and uh, dances in those uh, much later in the 17th century. So it becomes, in France, this same sort of entertainment goes on because nobody gets their head chopped off just yet. A bit later they do. They go on and they become the court opera. The Lully uh, uh, operas that we know are all the same thing, but written even larger. It is true. I think that court masks might be one of the places at which we can see the aristocratic world becoming increasingly detached from reality. We can see <laughs> the, the string getting more and more tense as they... rise up into the ether. Uh, Court masks, then, are these big events uh, that have an influence in other uh, things in society. They influence the contents of Margaret Board's loot book. They must influence plays, uh, public plays as well. Uh, Can you talk a little about that? Yes, absolutely. Only aristocratic, uh, noble, or otherwise very special VIPs would have been invited to attend a court mask, would have been uh, able to witness that kind of spectacle. That's a very, very small slice of early modern English society would have 
direct face-to-face -face access to this kind of spectacle, but obviously people would have loved to see such a thing. And so what Shakespeare does in his plays, um, and there are other dramatists as well writing for the public stage, is he incorporates some of the features of the court mask into his own drama. So for example, in The Tempest, there is a mask which uh, curiously gets interrupted before r the right power is able to be restored. But we get a dance of nymphs and reapers and a scene with gods uh, and goddesses, Iris, uh, Juno. Um, so we have, a, we have a scene that has a lot of the elements of the court mask uh, to give the public audiences a kind of a taste of this kind of spectacle. We also see for example, in The Winter's Tale, how the statue coming to life at the end, uh, Hermione's transformation, uh, also has a kind of mask-like uh, quality to it. it it's, ma it's magical and mythological uh, roots in the story of Pygmalion and his statue also seem to be gesturing towards the, 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 the mythological and magical world of the court mask. Uh, I know there's a, there's a song um, from Lord Hay's Mask uh, by Campion, where knights are trapped inside trees. So, uh, so uh, inanimate or certainly stationary things getting transformed uh, by song and dance and starting to dance around again is been going from the 1600s and then, as you say, uh, gets re-aired in imitation of that in The Winter's Tale when the statue comes to life, perhaps. Um, an, a, fa a very famous mask uh, is... Uh, not a court mask, Comus uh, by Milton, which I know uh, had a, a young woman not just dancing and uh, singing, also talking quite a bit. Do you want to tell us about Comus? Right. Well, Comus, um, otherwise known as a mask presented at Ludlow Castle, um, was composed by John Milton um, and music composed by Henry Laws who was the music teacher of the children of the Edgerton family. Mm -hmm. um, and the, the performance of Alice Edgerton, who was 15, as the lady in Comus is often regarded as a kind of a very beginning of female performance. It was in 1634. But for me, I actually see it as the culmination of a tradition of girls performing in court masks that extends back through the uh, Stuart court mask, through the Tudor period, as well is, uh, is uh, illustrated in civic entertainments and other forms of dramatic performances that took place outside the commercial stage. The commercial stage, of course, was all boys and male actors, mm -hmm. but if you look outside of that stage, you see, as many scholars have been demonstrating, female performance and girls as well. Well, I know that uh, people take seriously uh, Shakespeare plays that are written for the inns at court, which, as well as being a law school, they're basically a finishing school for courtiers in the time and so these these men are not it's not the commercial st uh, public stage but people you know people take seriously those plays and they're actors so it seems funny to not take seriously these non-public non-commercial entertainments that are masks and not take sh seriously the actors and performers in those these young women and older women seems funny to not take them seriously, though we're taking these inns at court 
plays seriously. Right, and we can look at all kinds of different forms of participation. So, for example, Alice Edgerton's performance in Comus demonstrates uh, a real sort of virtuoso capacity as a singer, as well as quite an accomplishment as an actor. There are very long speeches that she memorizes and needs to hold her own uh, against the actor playing Comus. But on top of performance, there are also, there's also evidence of girls writing masks, for example. Lady Rachel Fane, mm. um, at the age of 13 in 1627, writes her own little May mask, which was performed in her household. And there are also, there's also Lady Elizabeth Russell, who composed the Bisham Entertainment in 1592, an mm. entertainment for Queen Elizabeth as she was on her travels through England, which... Um, Uh, presented her daughters, Elizabeth and Anne, to Elizabeth as potential members of her own inner coterie at court. Um, I'm only, I, I, it occurs to me that in, um, in Comus, you have what you were talking about earlier, you have uh, Comus's gang, who are a bunch of drunks, who come out and do one of these preposterous dances. Then stuff happens. Uh, you have a bunch of country dances, which is an added bonus, who's sort of this, uh, they're virtuous country bumpkins who do, a, you know, it's still a country dance, but they're virtuous. And then you have the classic um, Laws sings to the um, mom and dad of these, uh, these children. Oh, and here are your offspring now to lead us all in a dance so it's the same uh, structure of it except you get that added bonus of the country dances uh, uh, virtuous bumpkins in the middle exactly and what would be the most interesting thing to watch a bunch of uh, very uh, orderly aristocrats dancing in a <laughs> simply a simple harmonious manner or a preposterous <laughs> yeah exactly yeah um here's some of the pieces we're about to hear anyway Maybe you'll want to comment on some of these pieces or what mask they're in. I've got one um, that's labeled Antique Mask of Mr. Confesso, set by Mr. Taylor. This is known as um, uh, the Lords, the first of the Lords in um, other sources. And it's probably the music is originally by John Caprario. It's from, uh, what do we know? It's from Lord's Mask by Thomas Campion. Any thoughts? Well, Campion's Lord's Mask was one of the masks that was performed at the wedding of Princess Elizabeth and uh, Frederick V, the Elector Palatine, in 1613. And the wedding celebrations went on over a number of days. And there were a number of masks uh, performed, and some masks that were rehearsed but actually did not get performed because at a certain point, King James just got sick of it and wanted to go home. <laughs> the Lord's Mask is uh, actually, I think the full title is the Mask of the Lords and the Honorable Maids. And so mm. there's another example of young women's performance. Um, and it involves the taming of female wildness, which is an interesting theme, uh, sort of hearkening back to the taming of the shrew when uh, we're thinking about the, uh, the marital uh, celebrations that are taking place in 1613 that they were performed for. It's also interesting to think about the, uh, the mask in relationship to, to the Winter's Tale. I was just talking about the inter- interrelationship between the public stage and the private court mask. 
the uh, the Lord's Mask includes noble women performing uh, transformed into statues of silver, uh-huh. which also in, uh, recalls um, the Winter's Tale, which was 1611. So we not only have court masks influencing the public stage, we also it seems have the have the public stage also in turn influencing mm-hmm. the private court mask. Uh, another piece, uh, which is the witch's dance I've talked about already from uh, Johnson's The Queen's Mask. Right, Johnson's Mask of Queens was one of his first masks uh, written for the Stuart Court uh, in 1609. And it, along with the Mask of Beauty, is considered the one of the masks where he really ar- arrives at the sort of the full articulation of, of his own his own mask style and structure with the anti-mask preceding the the mask proper. This is a, a mask in which 12 witches perform and confess their heinous sins and then their disorderly world is uh, rectified with the appearance of good queens uh, like Belle Anna, the, uh, the Queen of the Sea, performed by Queen Anne. That was one of her favorite parts, as well as uh, Penthesilia, Queen of the Amazons, uh, often celebrated as, a, as an expression of uh, female pa- power in a kind of an all-female context. The, the Amazons lived without men, except for breeding purposes. Um, and Zenobia, the, uh, the Syrian uh, queen, also um, uh, remembered for her, for her tremendous political power. Mm-hmm. So, uh, so I also uh, play uh, the Lady Phyllis's mask uh, from the board loot book, which I think it has a lot of those. It has a sort of an angular melody, and some places where it seems to stop for one of those preposterous poses or preposterous gestures, which are in the witches written into the witches dance, but they sort of do occur in the Lady Phyllis's mask. Though we don't know what mask it is, uh, it would appear to me to me one of these for one of these preposterous. Uh, dances of that sort. And it's interesting to think about what that says about the records that we have about court masks. We have these indications of a pause, but we don't know exactly what happened. Mm -hmm. And so it's interesting to think about how we have a record of a court mask, which will have music. Uh, we We may be so lucky as to have the costume designs or the set designs but we don't have a record of how the movement was taking place. That remains a kind of an evanescent aspect mm-hmm. of the mask that we can imagine, um, but we'll never really fully be able to recover. Mm-hmm. So those are, those are some of the anti-mask dances I'm playing. And then uh, it's, in, it's, it's in the board loop book a few times, actually. It's called, as it's called in most other sources, it's called the prince's mask or the first of the princes in a lot of other sources. It's called that in the board loop book. In the version I'm going to play, it's called The Lady Eliza, Her Mask, possibly by Robert Johnson, the big mask composer, who also worked for the King's Men in the uh, uh, 1610s. It's interesting because we don't really know who the Lady Eliza was, right? We can perhaps draw the obvious conclusion that it refers to Lady Elizabeth, Princess Elizabeth Stuart, Mm-hmm. But it could also be, you know, her relative, Queen Elizabeth, it could recall mm-hmm. Queen Elizabeth. And there were also any number of Elizas and Elizabeths named for Queen Elizabeth and Princess Elizabeth mm-hmm. who circulated at court. Elizabeth was one of the most popular names at the time. So which Elizabeth is it? Yeah, exactly. And why is, she, why is that version of it, it's 
slightly different. There's slightly different harmony and rhythms in it. Why is that version in the board loop book, Lady Eliza's and the other ones are the princes? Un unknowable. Uh, Johnson's Oberon, uh, that's from. And then there's a couple of uh, uh, the prince, his Almain I play, and the prince, his Caranto, presumably danced by the prince in one mask or another, probably Prince Henry, uh, uh, but we can't really know what uh, mask they're from at all. Now let's hear a set of anti-mask dances arranged for lute solo, starting with a dance labelled Antic Mask Pair Mr. Confesso, set by Mr. Taylor. The original tune is probably by John Caprario, and French dancing master Nicolas Confess was the choreographer. Then The Witch's Dance by Robert Johnson, and the anonymous Lady Phyllis's Mask. And then the less preposterous mask dances, The Lady Eliza Her Mask, the Prince His Almain, and The Prince His Caranto, all by Johnson, and all from Margaret Board's Loot Book. Thank you. 
Thank you.